Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudeman. On today's show, I'm talking to Jennifer McClure. She's the host of the Impact Makers podcast. Jennifer and I chatted about personal branding, but because she's my best friend and we've known one another forever, we talked about so much more. So if you like two middle-aged ladies debating the merits of Gary Vaynerchuk and conference speaker feedback, you're going to love the show. So sit tight, everyone, and I'll be right back with Jennifer McClure and more Let's Fix Work. Work is broken. So is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is breaking things down so you can put them back together and make work something you can enjoy. Let's Fix Work together. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, everybody. Thanks for joining me. I've got something great in store for you today. I'm here today with my dear friend, Jennifer McClure. Jen, how you doing? I'm doing great. Great to be with you here today. <laughs> Where are you today? Just tell everybody. I am in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. Living the dream, what disrupting HR all around the world <laughs> from the heart of the Midwest. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I've been to Cleveland a few times and I know there are four good blocks. <laughs> That's what I know about Cleveland. Okay. Well, down- I must be in them because it's lovely. Yeah. That downtown area is pretty great. And back when I ate bacon, there's a place, a restaurant called Lola's, I think. I don't know if it's still there, but the dude is known for his bacon and chocolate obsession. The restaurant that I ate at last night, the Greenhouse Tavern, which is very well known for its wonderful food. The signature dish is a $54 roasted pig's head. Oh, gross. Because when I walked (laughs) in, I was like, what smells so good? And they're like, it's the pig's head you want? And I'm like, no, I'll have a salad. Thank you. Oh, (laughs) disgusting. Well, (laughs) somebody out there loves that pig head. They're selling them, right? I guess so. $54. Right. Can you imagine if you're known for um, making a pig's head, like that's your brand? What a weird thing to be known for. The place was packed. So it's personal branding done right, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) What a segue, because that's what we're here to talk about today. (laughs) So Jen, you are known for this thing called personal branding. That's why you're on the show today, besides being just my buddy. And I wanted to record an episode with you. So let's get started today, fixing work by talking about personal branding. Why don't you tell us what it is? I like that. I'm known for personal branding right alongside the greats, Tom Peters, Dan <laughs> Schauble, you know, Jennifer McClure. We <laughs> so, know personal branding. I, I really have never liked the term and I would love to be crafty and clever enough to come up with a different way to say it. But for whatever reason, I think it does. It means exactly what it is. You know, who are you? What do you have to offer? And, and why should people, you know, choose to work with you or want to engage with you or know who you are? So that really is kind of a personal branding to me. I think the, the uh, official unofficial definition that I use, which I attributed to myself until somebody else told me Jeff Bezos from Amazon said it, but... <laughs> I I like the I attribute it to myself version better. It's really personal branding is how other people think of you as opposed to other people in similar positions. So, you know, when I think Lori Rudiman, I think cat blogger and there are no others to me, you know. (laughs) There's a whole industry, but there's just me. Work-life cats. I, I can't think of anyone else. You've pretty clearly separated yourself there. So it's what, you know, if I think about entrepreneurs or women leaders or HR professionals or recruiters, you know, what makes you different? Or are you just what I conjure up in my mind as a recruiter to be? So why does personal branding matter? 
it matters for that reason. You know, if you want people to engage with you, um, you don't have to be an entrepreneur. I think certainly if you're an entrepreneur or you have a business, then, you know, why should people listen to you? Why would they connect with your marketing? Why would they want to buy from you? But if you're a professional that works in the corporate world, which I'm sure most of the people that listen to your podcast are, you know, you want people to listen to your ideas, to invite you to meetings, to assign you the cool projects. You want promotions. You want to get called by recruiters for jobs that you love and potentially will pay you lots of money and help you in your career growth. All of those things happen because your name came to mind when somebody said, who do you recommend? Or when the opportunity became available, they're like, we absolutely have to get this person because they knew of you for some reason. They don't just go, get me a human resources person. Anyone will do, you know? No, they don't. In fact, <laughs> or, they never say that. <laughs> yeah. Or if they do, that job is clearly not, you know, your career making opportunity. So, you know, the only people that don't really need a personal brand are the people that don't really want or need to get noticed or recognized or move ahead in any way in the world. And and I agree, I granted, you know, not everybody wants to be the CHRO or to own their own business, but we all want opportunities to do work that we love. And that's what you need a personal brand for. Well, yeah, that makes sense to me. So we're here today talking about let's fix work and personal branding, but there are some people out there who are like, no, you know what? I don't believe it. I don't need a personal brand. I'm not looking for work. I'm not looking to set the world on fire. I'm not really looking to do anything. You know, I'm just looking to show up at work or I'm I'm volunteering my time or I'm doing my small thing in the corner of the world. Should they check themselves and really reconsider personal branding? Because I'm sure there are people out there who are like, eh, I don't believe in it. It's not for me. No, I think those people are going to get exactly what they want. Not much. Yeah. <laughs> They're saying, I don't really want to volley. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to be known. I don't want to move ahead in my career. Fine. Great. You, you do you. I mean, a personal brand, you don't, everybody doesn't have to think about that. You have one though, whether you want to develop it or not. So, you know, I kind of try to position it as, that was a, a nice way of kind of try to, kinda I try do to. position <laughs> it as you have a personal brand, whether you want one or not. The question is whether or not you want to take charge of it. So the personal brand for the person you just described is the person that nobody really knows what they do, who is not making any waves, who just either does their job and goes home or maybe they don't even do their job, but nobody knows it. And if that's what they want, that's their brand. But if you want, as I said, anything, if you want the cool projects, if you want a promotion, if you want a raise, if you want to get opportunities, if you want to be able to get people to donate to your favorite nonprofit or to get volunteers on your church committee, all of those things will or won't happen based off of how people think about you and how they feel about you and what they know about what you do. All right. So let's talk about how to have a personal brand because there are people out there who maybe think they don't have one or they have one, but they don't really know how to control it. So can you give us a good example of personal brands out there and maybe some tips on how we can follow and emulate great people out there doing it right? 
Sure. Well, I use a couple of examples that are celebrities so that, you know, that's a good way, I think, to to capture everybody's attention, regardless of what field you're in. And, and, you know, my BFF, Oprah, I didn't realize how close we actually were until I started my own podcast and I seem to mention her all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Closer stalker. I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, that, that could be part of my brand. Love, wait, wait. I love Oprah. <laughs> who doesn't love Oprah? I think it's people who don't like themselves who don't. You know, I've never, I've always said, I'm not sure I'm, you know, a member of the church of Oprah, but I guess I am. Um, but I've been using her in my presentation on personal branding for over 10 years, because when you think about a strong personal brand, you have to think of Oprah because, you know, think about her story, you know, child from a poor background, lots of challenges in her background, but she kind of, you know, once she decided, I mean, she did a lot of things professionally, obviously she's got the, the, the creds, she has the education, she worked as an anchor. And then, you know, she began to kind of think about what she wanted. She was ambitious. She wanted to grow in her career. And ultimately, you know, the Oprah story, she came in our, our living rooms for 25 years and her whole brand became this live your best life, which then she, you know, put on yogurt and, you know, got her personal <laughs> trainer anointed. And now he's the whole live your best. Life. And then she had Dr. Phil and it's like, you know, how's that working for you? And, um, you know, so all the things that Oprah's been able to do by really just being herself, but also making some intentionally good and smart, savvy business decisions, you have an impression of Oprah you know, maybe 90% of the people love her and 10% of the people hate her, or maybe it's more than that. But when you see Oprah's book club on a book, you have an assumption whether you like Oprah or not. You think probably that that must be a good book because Oprah put her name on it and everybody's buying it. Or if Oprah says, these are my favorite things, you know, you get an iPad and you get some fuzzy socks and you get these <laughs> silk pajamas that cost $200. So. <laughs> You're like, I really want those because Oprah likes it. <laughs> you know? So what does Oprah do that we can do? Because a lot of us listening are like, man, I'm no Oprah. I just I work know. in marketing or I work in operations or I'm a chemical engineer. How is my life like Oprah? So what specific things can we do to work on our personal brand? Well, again, I think, you know, to use that example, the decisions that she's made along the way about where to position herself, how to position herself, what to associate herself with and what not. And then sometimes she's made mistakes, but she's very transparent about those. She has been very, you know, she's not some accidental billionaire. You know, she's made intentional choices along the way about, you know, why she chose Chicago as the place to, to go to to start her first show, about why she stayed there. You know, no other talk show was hosted there. So it was different in that way. She made, if you listen to the Making Oprah podcast, and if you haven't, people, I'd recommend that you listen to that. Lots of decisions along the way about how to change direction of the show to be different when her staff was telling her, to, you know, you need to be like Sally Jesse Raphael or you need to be like Ricky Lake. And she's like, no, that doesn't feel right to me. And so she made some pretty bold choices along the way to develop her brand as that live your best life person and not the Jerry Springer, you know, uh, madhouse worst of humanity person, which she did for a period of time. So, you know, while people may not think that's relatable, what I want you to take from that is the intentional career choices and sometimes taking risks to think about how can I separate myself from the pack? You know, what is unique about me? Not, not what can I manufacture necessarily, but what is unique about me? How can I highlight that? Okay, yes, I'm already, if I'm Oprah, I'm already a, a black woman who's pretty, mild, you yeah. know, anything from mildly overweight to 
maybe really overweight that people relate to maybe along that, but yet she wanted to be more than just that. She wanted to be, you know, kind of rise above everybody else. So yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not about, about Oprah. Like I said, it's more about the, the, how do you think about back to that definition? What separates you from other similar people to you as a woman, as a human being, as a, you know, leader in whatever your profession is, as a volunteer, how are you different? So one of the things I found interesting about your Oprah um, analogy and all those anecdotes is that Oprah had um, both a mentor and a rival in Phil Donahue. Mm -hmm. So Phil Donahue was like my first adult crush, which is a weird thing to admit. <laughs> that, that is weird. It was Phil Donahue and Al Gore. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, so and this tells that. us everything we need to know about oh, you. Totally. The 90s <laughs> were weird for little Lori Rudiman. <laughs> So I, I love Phil Donahue because the example in that is I think Oprah took someone who um, was a little bit more conservative, a, a little bit, uh, someone who had been in the marketplace for a while and learned what she could learn from that individual and then also put her own spin on it. So I think one of the tips I have in my life for personal branding is I always look to who's doing it really well and who do I want to be when I grow up and who do I want to beat when I grow up and I watch them, I try to mimic the good stuff and then I try to put my own spin on it. So what's the role of mentorship and what's the role of finding someone out there and developing your own personal brand? Because you don't want to copy someone and it's very difficult not to copy in this age of social media. But yet I think there are people out there who are doing it really well that you can learn from, right? Absolutely. I mean, and I think you've said it very well. If we go all the way back through human history, you know, none of us is probably doing anything new at this point. We're all, to use a Laurie Rudiman quote, <laughs> work is derivative. Um, you know, well, I only say that when I'm making the face. You got to make it. It was either it was either you or Jeff Bezos that said <laughs> yeah, it. I don't know. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> but you know, the reality is there are people out there who've gone before us, and it is wise and prudent to look and say, who are the people, you know, again, for me, I'm a, a female entrepreneur who is a, a keynote speaker, and I like to help people build careers that they love and lives that matter. So I should be looking out there, and I do for other people who are online entrepreneurs, marketers, uh, leaders that have built really good brands that I yeah, admire yeah, wait, and follow. Let me, let me interrupt you, because who do you look at as someone to admire and someone to quote unquote mimic? Like, who's doing it right that you like? Sure. In a specific area. Well, if you've listened to my podcast, Impact Makers <laughs> with Jennifer McClure, <laughs> the name you've probably heard second to Oprah after Laurie Rudiman, uh, which we'll get back to, is Michael Hyatt. So michaelhyatt.com. Um, and I found Michael Hyatt when I was, uh, I'd started, I'd moved out of the corporate world where I was a career HR professional for almost 20 years and had started into an um, executive recruiter role, which was everything I thought I'd never be. But people smarter than me had kind of steered me in that direction for a lot of reasons, I'm sure, that were part of my, quote, personal brand that I didn't even know I had. Um, and so I was kind of, you know, I'm in an office where I'm really a business of one. It's a 100% commission role. I was working in a great company with very supportive people. But most of the day, we're all, you know, making calls and building relationships and finding candidates. So we're sitting behind our closed doors in our offices. So even though I'm introverted, I was kind of, it was a big change from being a leader with a team and people always popping in and out of my office. And so I'm like, I need, I need knowledge. You know, I, I actually missed 
that weekly executive team meeting where I'm learning what's going on in the business. So I was looking for people to learn from. And somehow I came across Michael Hyatt, who was at the time the CEO of a company called Thomas Nelson, a publishing company. And he had started a blog just shortly before I started following him. So this had to have been probably 2006 or seven, maybe seven. And was just writing from a leadership perspective, his thoughts. And he also wrote about he's very techie and very productivity focused. So he, he would try like the new iPhone and tell you what he liked and what he didn't like. He would tell you what's working with his productivity habits. And so I was just eating all this stuff up. And I'm like, this guy is making me smarter. Uh, if he likes the new iPhone, then I need the new iPhone. You know, if he does this <laughs> right. in his productivity habits, I need to do this because I saw him as someone that I admired and that was successful. And then ultimately when he retired, you know, became an online entrepreneur and now he shares that on a much broader scale. And I've spent thousands of dollars with Michael Hyatt, none of which I would take back. Um, And I believe in what he says and what he does. I don't buy everything he says, but I think to me, that's an example of, I am where I am in my business today because of Michael Hyatt, because of lots of people, including yourself, who I have watched. I've taken what I like. I have discarded what I don't, or I've put some things in the parking lot that I don't think I'm ready for yet. But yet when I do it, I'm me and I have my own spin on it. So I'm not copying him. And even if I am copying him, it's going to be in my words and my personality and people will resonate with it or not because they do or do not relate to me. Now let's take it out of the celebrity sphere um, and bring it to a personal brand that maybe many of your listeners because they're in the people space will recognize. And that would be Steve Brown. So Steve Brown um, at S Brown with an E H R on Twitter. Um, Steve Brown with an E everywhere. So you can find him. You can find Steve Steve is from Cincinnati. Steve is my mentor, but Steve has a super strong personal brand that if I know him personally, and I know he's a very humble person, uh, has probably never really, even to the Oprah extent, intentionally crafted it. He is 100% who he is, which is what people love and maybe some don't resonate with that, but he's gregarious. He's massively extroverted. He is a people person. He happens to be an HR executive and be a member of the SHRM board. He absolutely loves HR. He believes in the best in people at all times. He's all about double exclamation points and everything he writes. He loves tie-dye, he loves rock music. And so people that love Steve, it's kind of a cult of Steve. They love Steve. A lot of people, myself included, would say they consider him a mentor. I am not a lot like Steve personally, but I learn from him as a leader and he's someone that I go to and I trust to be very honest with me because I know he cares about me enough to tell me the truth. On the other hand, I love it and he shares some of this. He's also a speaker, a great speaker. Um, and he brings a lot of things to show in his talks. And he, you know, he's made me cry multiple times because people will send him because, you know, the double exclamation point thing, and I know the grammarians hate it. Uh, I've edited his pod, his, his work before when I had it on my own blog, which I'm sure he hated that. Um, but he got sent a book by Tiffany Kuehl, who saw a book about exclamation points. It's a kid's book about exclamation points, but she sent it to him and he told the story behind it and I loved it. And then he told the story about how somebody else, you know, out of the blue sent him a tie-dye t-shirt. And I loved it because people see those things and they think, Steve Brown, I must get it. 
I must send yes. it to him. I love that guy. A lovely and example. Oh, you know, all those things. Yes, yes. I'm, I'm okay yes, with that. But he's an, he's an HR practitioner, you know, so, but if, you know, and not just in Cincinnati, if you're a recruiter and you're calling, you're saying, who's the best HR person out there? Who should I be talking to? My guess is people all over the world are saying, you should call that Steve Brown guy. He may or may not be interested in your job, but he probably is going to know somebody you should talk to. Well, everybody go ahead and look at the show notes to make sure that you've connected with Steve Brown. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Jennifer McClure about her personal brand, what she thinks of my personal brand, which she's already told you I'm cynical and I like cats. And we're going to talk about how personal branding applies to your life specifically. So sit tight, everybody. We'll be right back with more Let's Fix Work. Hey, everybody. It's Lori Rudiman here. You know, I'm all in on the Let's Fix Work podcast. I want to deprioritize corporate interests, amplify good ideas, and help people fix work by fixing themselves. But I need your help. Please head over to patreon.com forward slash let's fix work and contribute to the podcast's growth. I need your help in building an infrastructure, growing the community, and making let's fix work a permanent place for good ideas. Your donation is essential for the show's success and any contribution would mean the world to me. Thank you again so much for listening to Let's Fix Work and thanks in advance for your support. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Lori Rudiman, and this is Let's Fix Work. I'm here today with my friend, Jennifer McClure, who I know only lets me and a few people call her Jen. Is that right, Jen? It's true. Well, I let would probably be too, too nice <laughs> of a word. The only people that do are people, you know, like you and Chris Dunn and Steve Brown, who call me Jen for some reason. I guess that's you guys just you're you're so you got so many things to do in the world that you need to abbreviate things. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be the Midwesterner in me that calls you Jen because yeah. I grew up with okay. like a hundred Jens. So okay, I'll accept. I love it. And I love that you don't like it from anybody else other than me. I'm going to tell that story as if it's true. <laughs> you own that. <laughs> right, own right. It. Well, I want to know, we've talked a little bit about personal branding. I want to know when personal branding is too much. Is there uh, a moment in time where you're too focused on personal branding and you're not focused on living or doing? Have you seen that? Hmm. I like the way you frame that question because I don't have an answer. And I've been told that when you shouldn't say that's a great question because that's a tip off that you don't have an answer. <laughs> oh, so we can, podcasting, we're like meta podcasting yeah. right now. Yeah, we're meta podcasting here. Um, so the question is: so is per when is personal branding too much? Yeah, or is it ever too much? Are you ever stuck in thinking too much about your brand and not acting? Well, I think anything in life you can overdo. Uh, if you are at the point where your personal branding efforts are, quote, too much, I think, yeah, you're probably doing it wrong because you're trying to force a message maybe that's not resonating. At some point, if your personal brand is a living, breathing thing, which, again, everybody has one, whether they want it or not, um, you ought to be paying attention to how other people are receiving you and your brand. So are you getting the opportunities that you want? Are people describing you? Let's say you go, you're with somebody at a networking event and they want you to meet somebody else and they introduce you. You know, are the words that they use, the words that you're like, yeah, that's totally me and what I want people to know. Or you're like, that, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> if I said Laurie Rudiman is my favorite cynical girlfriend, you, you might go, 
what about all the other things that I do? <laughs> yeah. and, and, all and I think then you have to kind of do some self-reflection and be like, well, why would Jennifer have said that about me? You know, is that what I talk about more than I talk about the things I wish she had introduced me as? So I think they're doing it too much maybe is not uh, the right way for me to think about it. It's more about are you doing it in a way that's resonating with people and are you seeing results? You know, are you hearing and seeing, you know, if you have a product to sell are people buying what you got, you're selling, are they calling you as a person who has expertise in the area that you want people to think of you for? Are you getting opportunities to do the things you want to do? I love that answer because it makes me think about how I've been caught up in my own personal brand over the past 13 years. And there are times, like even recently, I'm working on my book proposal, right, for Let's Fix Work. And I started writing it and I wanted to be like Lori Rudiman, serious HR workplace thought leader. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be the best HR lady. And so I started writing this book proposal. I'm like, man, this is boring and it sucks. And so I got out of that framework and thought, I'm just going to be me, right? Whatever that is. And wrote my book proposal and submitted it. And my agent wrote back and said, you are a pro badass writer. But I struggled until I got out of this thing that I was trying to craft for myself, which is I'm, I'm, I have the potential to be on the Sherm board. First of all, no, I don't, you know, I don't have that within me. <laughs> but also it was a lie. It was inauthentic to myself. So I really struggled with that disconnect between trying to be something and being the person I really am. So that's why I asked the question. Cause I would imagine people get caught up in trying to live up to an expectation or a brand that really isn't authentic. Have you seen yeah. that? Well, and I think you just made a great example. You know, if, if, if your goal, let's say, hypothetically, it was to be on the SHRM board. And then you look at the other SHRM board members and you say, well, this is what I perceive, you know, to be their qualities, traits, their, you know, how they got there. And then I'm going to try to model that. Well, the Laurie Rudiman I know, that would be such a horrific existence. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because, Because you are so, you are some of those things. Uh Absolutely. But you're also so many other things that make up the wonderfulness that is you. And I don't know, like I said, who knows, you could be on the share board someday, but, but, but trying to say, well, this is what I think those people do. And I'm going to kind of fit myself into that mold. And I'm going to write a book in that voice. That would be so painful. You would hate every minute of it. The book would be bad. What I want to hear is the same argument that I've been reading um, since 2007 and who has a voice and a point of view that sometimes I agree with and sometimes I don't. But when I don't, it's written so well that it causes me to think about my own perspective and say, well, could I actually defend my point of view or have I really thought it through? And I love the the stories that you tell and the experiences that you share. And I even tolerate your cynical point of view at some point. <laughs> oh, God, you more than tolerate. You love it. You know you do. I love it. But it's, but that's... Again, if somebody tells me, you know, asks me a question like, who is a great writer that I should read to learn how to write well? Your name would be the first one that comes to mind. that's nice of you. Thank you. If I I wanted... I don't want want to hear about myself. You know that. Part of my personal brand is I can't take (laughs) Tell me about your personal brand. What do you think it is? And I'll tell you what I think it is. Who are you? Oh, I don't like the way we framed that question. What do I think my personal brand is? Oh, no, no. How do you want me to frame it? Is it like, what's your personal brand? Is that a better question? Here's what I'll tell you that I'm striving to achieve. 
Now, then I'd have to kind of listen to the marketplace to see, am am I hitting? And I think, you know, I I get some signals back. My personal brand is that I'm a keynote speaker and a a performance coach that is trying to help people build careers that they love and lives that matter through building their authority and expertise so that they can get noticed and get the opportunities they want and deserved. Now, that is a doesn't roll off the tongue. Not at yet. all. And I tell, <laughs> well, I tell people in my personal brand workshops, it's constantly in motion. I mean, just because I'm up here and I'm telling you how to do personal branding doesn't mean that I've completely done, you know, that's all locked and done. I, you know, what, what I've got in there are the key tenants of what I want. I uh-huh. haven't really gotten to the, Jennifer, the 30 second elevator pitch. Jennifer, where are the <laughs> horses? Your personal brand is horses. Your personal brand is so much more than what you tell people that you are at a networking event. And I also have to know who my audience, wait a minute, let's back up really important right, thing here. Right. And you have to know who my audience is. And maybe I should have thought, well, again, this, like, I do, I did think the audience for Let's Fix Work is probably business professionals. Yeah, if this and, and were my family. E- equestrian today <laughs> and someone asked me, the host asked me, what is your personal brand? I'd say, I am a person who is passionate to obsessed with horses who if I could do anything in the world and it didn't matter how much I got paid for it, it would be riding horses all day, every day. I, wait, wait, wait. But I, fund, I, like that I fund that passion. Wait a minute, but I fund that passion through being yes. a keynote speaker and a coach. That's it. But Why that's don't you just audience, say that? No, that's audience specific. That's oh, not going to resonate with anybody out there who is ultimately going to pay me to do anything. <laughs> well, I feel like it's a more interesting and more authentic way of talking about yourself. Like I'm passionate about horses and because I love horses or I, Lori Rudiman, I'm passionate about cats and animal rescue. And because of that, I'm out there slinging hash on the blog and, you know, doing all sorts of other stupid stuff. But ultimately at the end of the day, I do all of this work that I do for my animals and other people's animals. That's my brand. But if I draw you into what I do, what I write, what I speak about, what I yeah. talk about online, you ultimately know those things about me. Just like I mentioned with Steve Brown, you know, getting the gift for, of a book about exclamation points and tie dye t shirts, whatever. Yeah. People send me Diet Coke, cupcakes. They post every horse video that's cute on in the world on my Facebook wall and say, I think you'd like this because people think about me. They'll take pictures when they're on trips. They're like, look, Jennifer, I saw a horse. I thought of you. Those things are absolutely part of my personal brand and have brought me business. Yes. So it is important yeah. to be your whole self. I have posted a picture of my horse before on Twitter and gotten an email from somebody who said, oh, I saw your picture about a horse today on Twitter and it made me think we need a speaker for our upcoming leadership event. And I thought of you. Isn't that amazing? Thanks, Sarabi. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> well... You know, Thanks for helping mama pay the bills. Yeah. So, you know, I like your personal brand in a lot of different variations. And we've talked a little bit about mine, but what if you're out there and you've got a personal brand that you don't like? What are some things that you can do to improve it? Do you you write more blog posts? Do you go on LinkedIn? Uh, What's your strategy for improving your personal brand? What if you're a person out there who is known for being crabby or cynical and you don't think that's necessarily authentic? How do you fix it? Uh, I have a couple of personal examples I'll share with you uh, because I, I use them as examples. Number one, I think you always have to be evolving your brand if you want to evolve as a human being. So the brand of Jennifer today in 2018 is absolutely not the same brand that I had in 2008 when I was working as an executive recruiter because 
my goals in life have changed or I'm doing something different or I'm attracting a different audience. So I've had to, you know, pay attention and evolve in and just like Oprah, I've had to t- intentionally make some decisions to shift that direction. So I'll give you an example from when I was an executive recruiter. So here I am, getting 100% commission, full cycle, retained search executive recruiter. Um, and I've got to go out and find, build relationships to get clients. I've got to build relationships to have candidates. That's how I get paid by the clients who pay me a retainer to go find executives for their roles. That's the plan. So to build my brand... LinkedIn was relatively new at the time. I had also made a decision to give away 10% of my time to helping senior executives in transition by just meeting with them, listening to their interviewing, telling them they sucked and interviewing, and here's how you can do it better. Your resume needs this better. So it was just, uh, you know, an hour of unsolicited, solicited advice of how they could do their job search better. And I typically ended it with, oh, and there's this new thing called LinkedIn. Here's how you can use that. And let's get a profile set up for you so that you can start, you know, getting people to know about you. God, what so a lot of the, oh my God. Well, <laughs> a lot of those executives ended up, you know, getting hired by companies yeah. uh, or they'd go back to their executive job search groups and they'd say, I just had this amazing meeting with this girl named Jennifer. She taught me how to network. She taught me how to interview. She taught me how to do the LinkedIn thing. Let's have her come in and talk to our group or our company or our recruiters or our HR people. And so I started getting invited to speak to people about LinkedIn. Meanwhile, LinkedIn in 2008 opened up the opportunity for anybody to create a group before nobody had been able to create groups on LinkedIn other than the, I forget what they were called, but oh my God, remember when the day those rules and it was a pain in the ass. Oh, wait, that's today. (laughs) That's now, now. Uh, So we'll add LinkedIn hater to your brain. No, no, Uh, LinkedIn. (laughs) So I created the first, like I was there at, you know, 10.01 a.m. when they said you could open your group. And I created a group called Link Cincinnati because I just thought this would be a great opportunity to build, you know, really thinking not about me. I was thinking about how can we use LinkedIn and Cincinnati to network, to build our careers, whatever. Over time, you know, everybody that gets, you know, that joins Link Cincinnati gets an email uh, automatically from me and says, welcome to the group, blah, blah, blah. Here's my name. Here's my, no sales pitch. No, here's what I do. No, I want to recruit people for you, but they're getting a link to the Centennial Inc. website. They're Mm -hmm. getting my email address. They're getting here. Go look at my profile. So subtle, subtle, you know, yeah, subtle yes. altruistic branding there. Marketing. Me over yes. time, that group now has almost forty five thousand people in it. Wow. And at one point, when groups were actually cool on LinkedIn, it worked really well, and we had live meetups, and we did a lot of things. So everywhere I start going, or when people are reaching out to me, whether it's email or phone calls, they're like, "I was told you're the LinkedIn lady." I was told to reach out to you because you help people. I was told by my friend that you were very helpful and connected. Could you help me and connect me? And I started maybe getting a little bitter because I come into work every day. I got to make money. Mama's got to get paid. The horse has got to have shoes. And I'm like, why are all the emails in my inbox from people saying, can you help me? Can you connect me? Can you tell me about how to use LinkedIn? And then I had to take a step back and go, you know, it's not their fault. It's mine. Everything I'm doing is around LinkedIn. Everything I'm out there doing, everything I'm talking about, everything people know me about is LinkedIn. I need to be known as the best executive recruiter in the world that you absolutely want to 
retain to get the best leaders in your company. Meanwhile, let's look at my blog. Am I writing any blog posts about that? Let's look at my LinkedIn profile. Is that really called out on there? Let's look at the signature line on my emails that I send out that says, if I can help you in any way, let me know. No. (laughs) Wait, strike that down. We don't want that. (laughs) Jennifer, you need to rethink this because people have branded you based off of your activities, based off of what other people are saying about you. So if you want people to know you as the best executive recruiter in the world, then you need to start not writing about job search on your blog, not writing about LinkedIn on your blog. You need to write about recruiting talent and getting people into the organization and how you identify the best leaders. You need to reshift your LinkedIn profile and make sure the word recruiting, recruiting, recruiting is on there. You need to, in your signature line, take that, if I can help you in any way, off of there and put, have a great day. (laughs) (laughs) Never contact me again. Yes. (laughs) He intentionally made some decisions to say, I got to shift this. It's going to take time, but I need to pay attention to what I'm putting out there in the world. And over time, it helped. And then over time, I've had to shift that to I'm a speaker. I've had to shift that to I do, you know, all these other things. So you worked on your uh, brand in order to stop being the LinkedIn lunch lady, right? And (laughs) something else other than a LinkedIn lady. And you did it because you started blogging, right? You know? Yeah, but it, it shows, again, I think the, both the power of personal brand, but also listening and kind of paying attention. And, and if people are describing you or asking you to do things or calling you out or offering you job opportunities for things that you're like, that would never be something that I would like. Why would they think about that? Uh, take a moment and look at <laughs> what am I putting out there in the world? And I'll give you another, I know, another quick, very quick, hopefully Please, short story. Well, what else are we doing today? Yeah. So to, to make it more personal. <laughs> Um, anybody that maybe has followed me for years, you know, again, I share on social media, a lot of things like pictures of cupcakes, pictures of horses, pictures of my travels, hotel room views, you know, all those things have, you know, kind of fallen under my brand over the years. And way back in 2012, I spoke at the Sherm Annual Conference, uh, for the very first time. It was a huge, huge honor for me. Unbeknownst to me, I didn't really realize they gave me a mega session at 7 a.m. for my very first event. I had no idea what that meant, um, but I knew it was an important moment for me as a speaker in my career and at the biggest HR conference in the world. So like any self-respecting woman would do, the outfit became of paramount importance. And so I, I remember to this. make Someone sure that, this. Yes. you know, you, you honor and give homage to this moment in an appropriate way. And so I shopped and shopped and I bought and I bought and I had multiple outfits. And the day before the conference, I was at an outlet mall, you know, because <laughs> that's where one goes to get a most important outfit of your career. Go into a store and there's this simple cotton blue A-line dress. And I was like, that is it. I'm wearing that dress. I will feel comfortable. It won't be tight. It will be, you know, pretty, I hope. And I will be comfortable giving this talk of my life. Well, fast forward, I go. The talk, the mega session actually ends up being in a theater that has two levels of balconies and a stage. And I don't, I truly don't get nervous when I speak. I've thankfully never had that, but I was intimidated. So at least for the first few minutes, I, I, wish there was audio because my voice, I could not regulate. I, it was <laughs> whatever. I, I remember that moment distinctly, but I was so proud and so happy to be there. And there were mm. almost, I think over 2000 people in the room that went really well. I had a great time. I got great feedback and it was probably, you know, one of the highlights of my career. Fast forward a couple months later, get the feedback in the mail 
And there's, you know, 15, 20,000 people at a SHRM conference. And there were, again, 2,000 people in the room. Little did I know, get 16 pages of single space comments back. And as one does, you look through those and you're like, good, great, whatever, whatever, great, wonderful, best thing I've ever seen. Who cares? You know, you're looking for the who hated it. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I know. I've been there. And also... You're in that Atlanta crowd. People were hot and crabby. It was humid. <laughs> oh, we had comments. The air conditioning didn't work. Yeah, the buses weren't right. on time. Yeah. So I get to this comment. And again, of course, again, your mind, for whatever reason, looks for those the, the negative comments. And the comment, is again, I can call it out word for word, was the speaker looked like she was going to a cocktail party. <sighs> no speaker should wear a dress above her knees on stage. And I was horrified and also found that intensely hilarious at the same time. (laughs) It's both. It is offensive and ridiculous. As I then became an annual tradition, I would take some of my favorite comments from the Sherm comments and I posted them on my Facebook wall in a self-deprecating way, you know, like this was my favorite comment. This was the one that I found most meaningful. And that was the one that I highlighted as the most meaningful and my favorite comment. And so, of course, my friends and, you know, Facebook friends that I've never met, all, you know, some chimed in, that's horrible. How dare they, you know, blah, blah, blah. But a lot of people are like, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. And so then both I and my network began to perpetuate this skirt above the knee thing, which by the way, I went straight upstairs, put that dress on. The skirt was definitely, I still have that dress below the knee. I and again, know it was. I was there with you. I saw no, the dress. Again, so no woman wears a cotton navy blue A-line dress to a jacket. Oh, oh God. But anyway, um, so it was funny to me. And so I'd go to Las Vegas and I took a picture of a mannequin in a Chanel store with a skirt that was like two inches long. You know, I'm like, this is my next Sherm outfit. Oh, here's a leather bustier. This is my next Sherm outfit. And I'd post those pictures as a way to make fun yeah. and did that for a couple of years. So then it became, if I was speaking at a conference, people would tweet me or some, you know, if I posted a picture, people would say, what are you wearing? You know, <laughs> the question was, what are you wearing? Skirt, 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 you know. And so then I did a personal brand exercise. I saw Lewis Howes, who has a podcast called The School of Greatness. He posted on his Facebook wall one day, and again, this was probably uh, so 2013 maybe, uh, just a sentence that said, doing an experiment, when you think of me, what are the first three words that come to mind? And I'm like, that's pretty cool. I will ask my Facebook friends and people that I don't know that are my Facebook friends. So these eight or hundred or a thousand people that, you know, I put my best life on in my Facebook posts every day, ask them what they think of me in three words or less and to be serious because this is a serious branding exercise. Uh Sure it is. And so I took those comments. There were lots of them. And I was, I was really humbled and pleased that, you know, most people did take it serious. And there were some nice words that were written there. And I copied and pasted all those words into a Word document. And then I uploaded that Word document to a site called wordle.net, which you can do for free. And it spits out a Word infographic. And I was really, really humbled and pleased to see words like humble. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Professional expert. Uh, all of those things showed up in big words, but there was also a very big word that was skirt. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, I was all mad about all of this. <laughs> also a very big word that was just as big as yeah. the word expert was cupcakes. Oh, well, that's good. Yeah. And again, I kind of had to take a step back because I'm amused at first and then I'm horrified at second. Like, why would skirt <laughs> and short was also on there somewhere right. show up when I asked people to think about the three words that come to mind when they think of me. And I was like, 
going back to the same example with the LinkedIn example. Yeah. Because that's all I talk about. That's right. I'm constantly sharing pictures of short skirts. I'm in on the jerk joke about short skirts. People are asking me what I'm wearing at conferences. That is 100% not (laughs) what I want my personal brand to be. don't. So from that point forward, I never talked about my attire, about my skirt length. I never made fun of that Sherm comment on social media again. And it took time for it to die out from the people that follow me. But now most people, maybe a few diehards would say that, but most people, if you ask them what are three words, that would not come to mind. Same with cupcakes. I was taking pictures of cupcakes and showing them everywhere. And that's what people thought of me. I was okay with the cupcakes, not with the skirt. Well, I want to quickly talk about that moment, if you have a moment to talk about Sherm and conference feedback, because I remember this experience with you. And I've had these experiences myself where I'm on stage as a woman. And I think my personal brand is like contrarian, someone who's uh, cynical, someone who's constantly complaining, right? So, but I get this feedback. Own it. You own that, yeah, I, I, I own it. It's fine. I get this feedback from Sherm and from other conferences where I've keynoted. And there was always a comment or two about my appearance, like professional speakers shouldn't show their tattoos or that dress is inappropriate or that woman, blah, blah, blah. And there was something about my appearance or my demeanor. And it got to the point where I've now asked event planners and I still do this today. I say, I am open to all kinds of feedback, whatever it is, I'll take it. But if it's anything regarding my personality or my tone of voice, please take it off. Because I can't even look at it, Jennifer. It just pisses me off to no end. So I wonder, when you got that feedback about your dress, how did you feel? Oh, um, I felt, I said, horrified, amused, shame. You know, like, oh, I thought I looked nice. Um, You know, does that mean every all other two thousand people were thinking that I, you know, looked? looked like a party girl. Um, you know, meanwhile, again, you ignore the hundred, 16 pages, right. again, 16 pages, space comments, 98% of them were loved it best I've ever seen. I have continued that's that talk I've done. I finally ret- tried to retire it, but people still asking for it. So here we are, you know, six, seven years later, and that talk has made me hundreds of thousands of dollars in keynote speaking because it was good. Um, but I will never forget that moment. And okay. I won't forget all of the other comments that people have made about my shoes and my attire and uh, my Disney princess hair. And, you know, <laughs> those are things that I don't think I can control. And, and to be you know, completely transparent, I got an email yesterday. So I spoke at the Sherman Annual Conference 2018 conference um, in June. And it is now August. And yesterday I was driving to Cleveland and noticed that I have an email from Sherm with my two documents of feedback from the two oh sessions God. that I have there. And I have yet to open them. Don't. It's There's hard, a reason. Right? There's a reason. Again, I know I got enough feedback from people after the events to know that the sessions were good and that, you know, I did what I went there to do. I've already booked multiple talks from, you know, one of them to, you know, do keynotes at, at conferences. So that has worked. But here I am, I'm afraid to open that, afraid. I don't want to open that document today because I want to have a good day. Yeah. That's, and I think that's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. What do you think drives someone to leave feedback like that? Do they just not know how to give feedback? Do you think they're malicious and intent? What is it that drives somebody to write about a person's appearance or something really nitpicky? I think as humans, we tend to do that, not just with speakers, but in life in general. We have triggers or things that we're like, 
oh, I hate that. Or I would never wear that. And then for whatever reason, maybe we're having a bad day or maybe, you know, I, I just think it's people who aren't really opening up themselves up to a lot of cases, give grace to people, a lot of cases to overlook things that are their personal opinions or values and to look for what is the learning opportunity here. And instead, I want, I think that my expertise needs to be shared on this feedback form about the height of Jennifer's heels and what I think is appropriate versus not. <laughs> if there is anything that this podcast could do today for people out there, it is to encourage you if you're in an audience somewhere and you see a speaker on stage to A, give grace, but also to have a little bit of empathy and think about that moment where Jennifer has her feedback form and she doesn't even want to open it. I'm not opening it. No, I probably will open it this weekend when I'm like <laughs> with some horse. I'll be sitting with my horse in her stall going, you make me happy no matter what. Um. Every time you share your feedback, it causes me to have an amount of range because I don't speak as much anymore. And when you share that feedback publicly, I am so angry on your behalf. I mean, I love you. You're an amazing speaker. You're a talented woman. You work hard for that audience. And to hear some of the things that are said to you, it's just so, off I'm offended on your behalf. Well, but I again, I think part of it is the anonymous portion of it, but part of it is, again, you, I try to give grace back of, I don't know what that person was experiencing. When you get a comment, again, from last year, I might sure talk, I spoke at 3 p.m. on like the second day. And one of the comments, one of the written comments that someone took the time to write on my form was a paragraph about how the convention center did not have enough places open for breakfast in the morning and the lines <laughs> were too long. And you I know read what? that. That person does not deserve you, Jennifer. But they again, don't. I read that and I'm like, I'm amused because you're so bitter at 3 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> that you came to a session about disrupting HR. <laughs> and your one piece of feedback that you wanted those Sherm conference organizers to know was that there weren't enough breakfast operations in the convention center. But that's not HR people. I've spoken at not HR conferences and gotten similar feedback. Yeah, so agree. I think you know, for me, let me, let me hate on HR. But my, my back to who I want to be known for, and how I want to be known as that person that gives grace, that looks for the learning opportunity, that that that. Because I don't necessarily agree with someone, I don't agree with what Laurie Rudeman's opinions are on a lot of things. But look, Lies. I've built a good friendship and traveled the world with you because I want to look past those things I disagree with you on and say, what's, what's the pieces that I do like and that I resonate with? And so for me, for example, I am a speaker. And so I attend a lot of talks to learn about my craft, to learn things I want to do, to learn things I don't want to do. So I am an audience member that is not a typical audience member in any session that I show up in. I am not necessarily in some cases as interested in the content or the takeaways from the session. I'm really there personally evaluating the speaker. Yeah. So I personally never fill out a comment form at a conference because my feedback is delivered from the from the perspective, if I were to give it, would be delivered from the perspective about what I like or what I don't like as a speaker. Yes. And that's right. not why that person is there. And let's be clear, they didn't ask me for that feedback. <laughs> well, I think that's fair. And that's a great way to kind of wrap this up. I mean, I like the fact that you're thoughtful, you're intentional about your feedback. And if anybody could just emulate that, Jennifer, and, and think about themselves being like you in that moment as a observer. Be like me, yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, the, the key here is audience members, nobody asked you. <laughs> and, and, and humility. Always remember humility. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Jennifer, I know you um, have got a series coming up on personal branding on your podcast. So what can we expect when we listen to impact makers and you're talking about personal branding? Yeah, yeah, I have one. Uh, first episode actually came out today, and it was sparked by a conversation from, we were talking a lot about the Sher Manual Conference, where I did two sessions there. One was on defining your personal brand, and then uh, Cheryl Sandberg was the closing keynote and was interviewed by Adam Grant, and she, I'm loving everything, you know, not not evaluating her as a speaker because it's basically a Q&A, loving everything she says, tweeting everything she says, and then he asked her a question, which I've heard her answer this before what do you think about the term personal brand? And she hated all over it. Well, like, like, I'm like, that was probably the most emotional she got in her home. <laughs> she was like, I hate it. Oh, you're not a tube of toothpaste. And so I tweeted word for word what she said. And then I tweeted, oh, woo, glad I did my session yesterday on personal branding because Cheryl Sandberg just dumped pretty hard on that. And there were then a lot of, you know, quite a few tweets, not a lot, but a few of people who were like, I was in Jennifer's session and I disagree. And of course, there are also several who were like, I agree, I'm not toothpaste. So I took that and kind of like, well, maybe I should kind of do a series on what I think personal branding is, you know, similar to what we've talked about in this podcast and what it can do for you. And also just do a little mini training on how to do it. So I'll be sharing some of the things that I teach in my workshop. Um, and I also have a workbook that people can download for free. So not so shameless plug here. You can go to jennifermcclure.net slash PB workbook. And you too can start to figure out how you can define and communicate your personal brand. And I'd love it if you'd join me on the Impact Makers podcast to kind of hear what I thought about Cheryl and Adam's talk. Um, also, you'll hear about Oprah. Shocker. <laughs> you know. But then uh, we'll also, again, be doing more some, um, you know, some takeaways with some, some things where you can maybe work through if you don't understand what your personal brand is today on how you can get clear on what it already is, because you, even though you haven't been trying, you have one, but then how you can take charge of it and think about how you want to develop it, maybe be aspirational about it, but yet authentic and take steps and take action to make it be what you want it to be. I love it. I love it. Well, I love you. I love everything you do, Jennifer. We are buddies and you are such an important mega friend of my life. I'm so grateful that you pushed me to podcast. So thank you for that. I mean, I don't know if people know that story, but you started podcasting first and I'm like, what are you doing? Hey, let me learn how to do this. So thank you for being a leader in so many ways in our industry and uh, just being an awesome human being. Thanks for well, being here. You're welcome. Show. My goal is to be an impact maker in your life. <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> well, you are. That's 100% true. All right, Jennifer. Well, you have a great day in Cleveland and everybody sit tight. We'll be right back with more Let's Fix Work. You know I love to brag about my friends. I also like to listen to them. And right now I'm listening to Jennifer McClure, host of the Impact Makers podcast. Jennifer is connecting with leaders across all industries to figure out how to make a difference at work and in the world. Here's what she's got going on. I believe strongly that each of us has the ability and the opportunity to positively impact people through our work and through how we choose to live our lives. The truth is that you've already impacted people in this world, even if you haven't been trying. I love what Jennifer has to say. And if you like what you're hearing right here on Let's Fix Work, you'll love what Jennifer's talking about on Impact Makers. So go to jennifermcclure.net forward slash iTunes and subscribe today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jennifer McClure. As you can hear, Jen and I have known one another for ages. And because she's part of my personal network, she's now part of yours. So check out the show notes and listen to Jen on the Impact Makers podcast 
and find her at jennifermcclure.net. Let's Fix Work is a production of One Stone Creative. Audra Casino, Megan Doherty, and Gerson Lafleche make the show great. If you like what you heard, subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to check out the Let's Fix Work page on Patreon, where you can contribute to a community and watch the show grow. That's all for this episode, and I hope you enjoyed it. Send me an email with feedback if you have any, and we'll see you next time on Let's Fix Work. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Fix Work. Wouldn't you love to get your hands on Lori's no-holds-barred, honest HR handbook for employees and pros alike? Download it for free at lorirudiman.com slash DIYHR.